What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John is with me tonight. And uh, if you did not listen to our show Sunday night, John was not there. I had Mike Gilbert join me to talk about UFC and John Jones and then the New Japan show, the New Beginning show that was over the weekend. So if you haven't heard that, go ahead and listen to that show when you can. Tonight, John and I are not going to cover that because we have so much stuff to talk about. I didn't want to have like a three hour show. Uh, but John, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Uh trying to survive here got the the whole family sick but me and i think kaylee she's not sick yet the little baby but uh yeah it's going around so take your vitamins yeah yeah trying to drink drink your water trying to wash our hands and everything yeah definitely so um like i was saying you know we have so many things to talk about and then something happens last night that that I didn't know was happening and that we'll talk about with just Jeff Cobb showing up on AEW TV. So just tons of stuff to talk about. And to kind of get some some of this out of the way, I just wanted to mention a couple things. Um, I was uh, I did a podcast on Friday uh, with Big Dave. No, actually, it was... I did, I did one on Friday, which was talking about more WWE... Um, business and and what we had we had done on our talked about on our last show about the streaming and the network and all that stuff um and then i did a show with him on monday in which we interviewed cody cody Rhodes, cody runnels whatever you want to call him and so if you want to hear that stuff uh, that is subscription only on wrestlingobserver.com so that is that is out there if you do haven't checked that out yet and also uh, i did a show with uh, antonio the promise thomas uh, for his podcast uh, and that is also on F4W. That ha- I don't think that's aired yet, but that's going to be more sports based. It's about the 49ers. We both cried in in our in our, uh, in our pods. Um, and, and so that's just that stuff. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention before we we actually get going, because like I said, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, there's going to be some uh, some coverage on the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight, which is not this weekend but next weekend. So the fellas doing and, and Matt Prentice and Robert Silva and I, uh, we're going to have some content out there uh, for uh, previewing that that fight next week. And hopefully I can get someone on to talk about that fight for uh, next week's podcast. All right. So I got all the introductions out. First thing I want to ask you about the last couple of weeks, we've kind of talked about WrestleMania angles and stuff at the top of the show. You've been alluding to in your own way for about the last four months that Shayna was probably headed to Raw at some point. She finally made her debut. And in her attacking of Becky Lynch after Becky Lynch beat Asuka in in her match, she bites her on the back of the neck or back of the head. Becky bleeds and Shayna comes up with blood all over her mouth uh, and that was kind of, that was the the way to kick off Shayna's main roster career. What did you think about that angle? It was pretty shocking, um, memorable because I mean, it was different. I, mean, I definitely didn't expect anything like that. Um, I saw it on the via you know Twitter gifts. You know, at that I didn't watch it live, so when I saw it, I'm like, what the heck? And of course the the timeline, my timeline was just all Shayna. Shayna with her mouth bloody, Shayna biting Becky. Um, it, it's different. I, you know, I don't know 
if I would have gone her that route, but you know, they, they, they definitely got some attention towards her and they, and they, sh- they shot a pretty big angle and we'll see what happens as blood coming to the match at WrestleMania. I would think they would have to, or, or some sort. So I thought the, the after I kind of stepped back and, and thought about it a little bit, the only real problem I had with the angle was the mouth or, or sorry, the blood on Shayna's mouth just looked too fake. You know, I the, the, I don't know how you make that look more realistic than than possible, but you know, she, she it was like a uh, a four year old grabbed uh, mom's lipstick and just started putting it all over her mouth like that's what it looked like and so that's the only thing that i didn't like about it. i know a lot of people didn't like the biting thing because it was a little too like uh not serious enough i guess what was uh what was a lot of the complaints and the thing that i said was not serious you know, enough biting someone's <laughs> skin and break piercing skin and drawing right. blood it's pretty I, I mean, serious it, but it, it's serious in the way that you never see on wrestling television mm-hmm. Like, you know, back in the day, um, you know, someone would bite the forehead, right? Like we would see that sometimes. But I think the other shocking piece is simply because it's women. And I think that's what shocked people more than anything else was just that it was two women that they decided to do this with. And so, like I said, I I, I sort of was, I I pulled back and said, okay, like, what really is this? And, And I actually, after I thought about it for a little bit, I did like the angle. The only thing... I don't I is what I'd be concerned about a little bit for Shayna's sake is if this just becomes her gimmick mm-hmm. and you know I don't know if um you know Billy Robinson necessarily taught biting as a as a self defense I mean it is a real thing right if you think about you know if you were in a real fight how do you get out of stuff eye poking or breaking the nose or even biting is a way to get out of the uh, out, of, out of something but the way that they had her do it it was sort of like i think you know maybe a little vampire-ish i guess a, a little bit but as long as it as long as it's like shana is like not the biter and then you know in six months on raw like when you know when she's in a, a vignette with three other women like she's the biter like as long as that doesn't happen and this was just meant for that shock value and to be like look do, do not mess with this woman i thought it was totally fine and i thought it was like you said sort of memorable and it just hasn't happened before yeah i was wondering because you know that raw was in southern california and Maybe it was Vince who thought of a, you know Freddie Blassie in his uh, heel run in L.A. as the vampire, mm-hmm. where he would you know bite people and draw blood. And there's a famous picture of him um, wearing the like the Hannibal Lecter kind of mask. And um, I wonder if someone you know kind of thought about that and and came up with this idea. Um, like I said, it's shocking. It's different. Um, it's going to be memorable. And people take notice right away. She comes in there and just chokes her out. I mean, we've seen that how many times, right? So they just went a different route with it, which I think is good. You know, it's good that they're doing something. So they're they're putting some creative thinking behind it and not just Mm -hmm. just having her go out there and attack someone and walk away and throw her hands in the air. So when I was talking to Big Dave, the person he thought would have created this is Heyman because he said Heyman was a huge Freddie Blassie fan back in the day. So he thought this would have been, you know, his imprints of, of doing something like, like this. So, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Um, but what did you think about the other piece of this angle, which is Becky as 
stone cold Becky Lynch, you know, just just you know deciding to drive herself to to the doctors and then driving the the ambulance back and and really you know being the the uh, the butt kicker uh, 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 the the last kicker you know uh, mentality of you know you can't you you can you can sort of derail her but you're not going to stop her. Yeah, I wasn't that. I didn't like that part of her just kicking the guy in the yeah you know, the ambulance the ambulance driver or just taking off with the ambulance. Thought that was a little too much. Um, but it was Austin, right? Because that's like a thing that they would have done yeah, with Austin. I don't know if I, I just so. I, I like Becky a lot. and I like this character a lot. I just don't see her like Austin like that. But um, I did like her promo later tonight, though, when she came back and she got in the ring and her promo. I really enjoyed that. So I wish I would have done something different. I had that moment of her, you know, with the ambulance taking off. But um, but it, like but other than that, it was uh, overall I thought the angle was pretty good. Now, the something that we talk about uh, a lot when when it comes to this stuff is actually sort of selling the moment. Now, this wasn't a match, but this was something that, like, I think when if people really thought about it in the moment, like, what if that happened to me? The idea that you could go to the doctor, get numbed up, and just be back, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily liked that. Like, I would have liked to see her sell it a bit, but then I, I understand what they're trying to do with Becky, which is... You know, she's she's sort of what Moxley is in AEW, right? Like just this fighting babyface who takes no prisoners. So I get that piece of it, but I do wonder if you know, for something that is as shocking, and for Shayna to come in and, and do that, should the babyface have been laid out for at least a week? Yeah, you could do that too. I, I'm 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 like that. I, I don't like to rush stuff as well but i mean it still was just a bite in the neck and draw blood so maybe it's a little bit different maybe something more a broken leg or something like that mm-hmm. you would want her to be mm-hmm. out for a while but uh i'm okay with i'm okay with him having her come back to the same show but uh yeah yeah but it, it probably would have been a, even more of a positive if she uh if she was just didn't come back to the show and did, did the end the promo uh the next week yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um all right, so the other thing, you know, relating to WrestleMania that uh, that's kind of the, this segment here is the Elimination Chamber is coming and Roman Reigns is going to be involved in that match and, and the winner is going to get a shot at the, uh, at the uh, SmackDown title. Um, Goldberg, as I saw in person on SmackDown, even though he wasn't there, which was kind of frustrating... Uh, Goldberg was on SmackDown, and he and the Fiend are going to face off at the uh, whatever the new Saudi Arabia show is. The idea of having Goldberg uh, be the next victim to the Fiend is—I I don't know if I necessarily like that that much. But there's a flip side of fans who are like, you know, what would actually be more interesting instead of the Fiend against. Roman Reigns, Goldberg against Roman Reigns would be more interesting. And I, I I totally get that perspective, but it feels like it would just be throwing everything they've done with the fiend down the drain. And I don't know if you want to do that either. Yeah, that's that's there's a slim, slim chance that Goldberg is defeating the fiend at the end of the month, um, at that uh Saudi Arabia show. Um, I think uh, you know, it's just just obviously this is booking Goldberg for this one for him it's going to be a really big payday two 
it's a unique match that gets people to tune into the network and watch this show, which, you know, uh, when they, they, they're they on a, is it on a work day again? Because it's on a work yeah, day. I think it's on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of people like, like myself, I'll probably pick and choose matches when I get later in the evening when the kids go to bed. So, and, and, th- and this is definitely going to be one I want to watch. I definitely uh, look forward to this matchup. Uh, but it's it just, it's just a way to get eyeballs on this event where if you don't have some kind of a hook match like this, some kind of special attraction match um, like this, you you know, people are most likely going to skip it. Yeah. Yeah. Now knowing possibly what they're setting up, how do you keep the fiend strong and not make Goldberg look weak? Because, I mean, if you look at the ratings, SmackDown ratings were up because of Goldberg. So there's still interest in him. He's still special. That loss to The Undertaker doesn't seem to have hurt him. Uh, maybe maybe not, not at all. But how would you, like if you were the booker, how would you put this match together so that Goldberg you know, can can continue to be this guy who comes back and people still look forward to seeing him. Well, I, I don't think you have to, like, book him to be protected to some kind of unique finish. I, I have a feeling they are going to do some kind of funky, gimmicky finish with some kind of weapon of some sort, maybe that hammer. But um, I also think he can lose cleanly because Goldberg's not wrestling weekly, right? So he can be off TV after this and then you bring him back in August or November for Survivor Series or just wait till January for the Rumble or something like that. So and he'll be fresh then cuz he'll be gone for a while and he'll come back fresh. So you can beat him in and it's not it's not going to really hurt the legendary characters like that. Like Goldberg, I think he'll always get a pretty big reaction when he returns. So I'm not worried about them beating him clean if they decide just to beat him clean i can it'd be dope to see if he just dope it'd be cool to see <laughs> if he uh uh hits this goes for the spear maybe like once hits it twice hits it then goes for it again and right into sister abigail that'd be pretty awesome yeah yeah uh, okay so i told you before we started the show to think of you know what your favorite match was this week and we can even include the stuff that you know, happened over the weekend, if you would like, because we have a segment called uh, the betonline.ag match of the week. So we'll use this opportunity to uh, to talk about what our favorite match was uh, of the week. Betonline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all in one word, for a 50% welcome bonus so we can talk about matches from obviously last weekend so new japan show anything you may have seen even that was possibly you know previous but you just barely saw it this week obviously anything from AEW, nxt raw uh all that but for this uh, for this segment what would you say was your match of the week um, I really enjoyed Jungle Boy versus MJF this week on AWTV. That was a lot of fun. I had a really good time watching that match. So that's that's going to be my pick. Okay, so let's talk about that. And I was going to save this for the AW show or the AW segment. Well, let's save it. What's your match? What's your match? And we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll... Well, well, the the reason why I want the reason why I want to talk about this now is because <laughs> I think it's I think it's it's one of the the things that I was most interested in on this show for AW. Um, 
the the match in of itself was 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 really good. I you know, I thought you know it's like these two guys who are very young. God, MJF has like so much confidence. It's amazing. He's amazing. Like, I'm just like man, this guy just not only does he know what he's doing, but he knows that he's got the fans. He knows that he's kind of in, in charge of his character. He believes what he's doing. He's, he's just, he's just so great. But both of these guys, so young jungle boy, obviously hasn't wrestled that long, but neither has MJF. Right. And you would never call MJF this like ring general based on his, his uh, experience so far. And you wouldn't call jungle boy that either. So, you know, I was kind of like, okay, like they're going to have a match and, and it'll probably be good. But I, I, I really wonder, you know, how, how this match is going to look. And I thought it was a really good match. Now I had a problem and I've been very public about this uh, in our Facebook group. And I, I am an admitted overprotective jungle boy fan, right? Like I really like this guy and so my thought was MJF definitely needs the win unless they wanted to do something where Cody is messing with him and, and it sort of screws him in some way. But if he's going to win, would it have been better for him to beat somebody else under the, other than Jungle Boy? Because Jungle Boy has a singles outside of that Jericho match. I haven't really seen him that much. You know, he's on dark, he's in tags, but he hasn't really looked impressive as a singles. And to me, obviously, I've, I've, I've said this from the start, I think he has so much star potential. I don't know if I would necessarily beat him. Um, and I might have beat somebody else instead, maybe a Marco stunt or somebody who's sort of there for that thing. But what did you think of the booking of that and the idea that, you know, Jungle Boy's the one to lose this this match? I'm, I'm, I was good with it, definitely. I had no issue with him losing. He was competitive. It was a long match. Uh, went back and forth. Um, it felt like a tease of a future program, you know, in a year or two. And I think they kind of even mentioned it on the play-by-play. So I, I, I think what happened is I think JR saved it in a sense. Not to say that Jungle Boy is ruined or, or whatever, but I think JR sensed that, okay, how do we keep you know how do we sell this thing a little bit more knowing what the thing is and i think jr thinks like that which people don't give him credit for but you know that's sort of him thinking on his feet when he when he said that which i which i thought was great as well um my match of the week is probably suzuki and moxley because i thought they were the perfect fit as uh for each other and you know it's almost like i don't know if you saw this but a lot of uh, a couple of people have brought this up to me but suzuki is going to be part of joey uh, ryan's penis party whatever that yeah, show saw, that he does i saw the match tonight or with announcement tom, yeah tom lawler and all that and so someone said you know of all people you know, I, 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 I can I can you generally be okay with this, but not Suzuki. And I was just looking at it like, but he's been involved in so much wacky stuff in Japan. Right, like a lot right, of people right. don't even know that. You know? Sure, yeah, totally. And I'm just like, look, man, this dude is having the time of his life, and he's just looking to get paid. Hopefully, he doesn't have to uh, have to do the, the the spot of all spots. But um, like, like he just he's look he looks like. 
when he's wrestling, even as brutal as some of that stuff is, he just looks like he's having the time of his life. At what the guy's like fifty years old, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think he's fifty, fifty-one, right? And, and for Moxley, you know, I've been a, a big critic of of the John Moxley character in the past, mostly the Dean Ambrose stuff. And like I said, I think I said it last week. Like he's just clicking for me. And while he's still a little on the wacky side when it comes to his aggression and you know the way that he that he goes after it, I, I think there's a little bit of um, there's charisma in that. It's it's a little endearing. Whereas when he was doing it as Dean Ambrose, I was just so frustrated. But um, I really liked that match. I thought that match was a lot of fun. The um, the the junior uh, heavyweight match was crazy. Uh, I like this one a little bit better than that. And the other one that you know, even more than um, the Naito and Kenta, I actually liked the eight man tag again on Raw with those two teams. That for whatever reason they have really good chemistry with each other. Even though uh, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty dangerous for Samoa Joe to come back from a concussion and then immediately do that tope and then take the curb stomp mm-hmm. to lose the match. I was like, whoa, you know. He, maybe not take both of those things, but uh, but just those, for whatever reason, um, those two teams, those or foursomes have so have such good chemistry with each other. Those matches are so fun, and and usually like you know it's like okay, like there are some some spots that are fun or some stuff that are fun, but the whole thing is fun. Like the last the last weeks of TV for Raw with those four teams or with those two teams battling with each other has been just fun like that's what that's what you know i like about about raw these days is it just feels like more of a fun show yeah when you get eight guys with tremendous talent i mean you're gonna get a great match yeah it's been a uh under the radar like really good feud and so far in 2020 so yeah i like i'm just like you i, I like that eight man tag match a lot it's a lot of fun buddy murphy is just phenomenal to watch he's so fun in there um i'm a big aop guy I've always been since they you know since they put together an xt T. Razar looks like a freaking beast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what he's. Pe- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's skipping on this day or what, but um, he's uh, he's uh, he's looking like I- I'm afraid they're gonna break him up. That's what I'm, I'm like. So I keep, every time I watch him now, I'm like, oh man, they might split them up and feud, and then Razar's gonna go on his own, and you know, poor uh, poor um, Acom's gonna be left behind. I think, mm-hmm. but um, but you know, Acom's a like a really solid worker in his own right, you know, and he's uh, kind of like, I think the better of the two when it comes to uh, in ring, but you know, Razor definitely has that star look to him. And you go, you know, Seth Rollins is always good. And then, you know, the Viking Raiders are great and you got Joe and, 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 um, and, uh, and, and, and Kevin Owens has been great in his baby face role. Like we talked about last week, like I just can't stand Kevin Owens as a heel. I just, he, I just don't believe him. But like here as a baby face, this is his natural role. Like, you know, he's likable this way and um, smarmy, smarmy baby face. Yeah. Is definitely his role rather than white meat baby face, which I don't think is his role at all. Or he, I mean, you know, I think he can do some good stuff as a heel, but ultimately, uh, as a smarmy baby face who's a little bit of a troll, I, I think he, his personality just seems so so perfect for that. Um, okay, so so there you have it, the betonline.ag match of the week. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all in one word, for a 50% welcome bonus. Okay, so uh, before, so just just to kind of uh, let people know where we're going here. So, 
Uh, we will do the AEW and NXT stuff, and then we're also going to talk uh, about uh, the uh, the Takeover show, the We Want Flair segment for this week because we're basically recapping um, Flair's end with WCW in 1991. That, that's a little bit of a longer segment than the other We Want Flair's, so we're going to save that for the end and probably quickly get through some of this other stuff. But I think you know when I when I talk to you. One of the one of the <laughs> the main people connected to you is, is Jeff Cobb because of both of your backgrounds, and so when he show, showed up on AEW TV last night, I was like gobsmacked. I, I think mm-hmm. he's he's like he's technically in the UK this weekend, so I was like, oh, Jericho's talking about him, and then he's going to be in the UK this weekend for I think it's for Rev Pro. And so, oh, he's probably not on this AEW show. And then he comes out right at the end. Uh, they were in Austin, Texas this week. And he shows up and he looks awesome. Jericho puts him over like a beast. JR puts him over like a beast. Excalibur puts him over like a beast. And he comes right in and it's like, this is the hot, like, you know, not to say that in ROH or New Japan that he didn't do a good job because I think he did, but he's never been more over as a as a wrestler than he was last night and it was so amazing to see yeah that was awesome thanks for spoiling it on that group message um <laughs> I, I was like well what? I, what what i spoiled was <laughs> i know i know was just that they mentioned his name yeah i, I didn't and then, and then, come out either so I was and cool. then when he came out i didn't say anything because i didn't want to spoil that yeah that was but that i, was I mentioned really cool. uh, just when jericho mentioned his name i was like whoa they just mentioned jeff cobb on on AEW. Because I don't know if everyone knows, but I, I really am spoiler free when I watch it because I really want to have that organic, you know, thoughts on everything that happens when I watch it. So, um, but yeah, that was uh, it was awesome to see him come down and he looked, you know, he did a great job. He looked like a badass. He came in there toward the islands. Um, great ending segment. Uh, Jim Ross put him over big time because Jim Ross loves him and um, always makes that reference to Steve Williams, Doctor Death Steve Williams, which I always I always get a kick out of. So um, yeah, it was it's a it was an awesome moment, and I'm so happy for the man. He's 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 hit kid keeps hitting home runs. He just keeps getting you know every opportunity he gets. He does a really great job with. So the sky's the limit for that guy. Okay, so now. We're going to have to test a little bit of your journalistic integrity, even though you're not a journalist. I'm just going to read from what Big Dave wrote Uh in The Observer, and then you can give me whatever you want after that. So Big Dave says, the story with Cobb is that he's still a free agent and only has agreed at this point to do the program with Moxley. It's interesting that they were willing to use an ROH guy And he also mentioned that Cobb uh, didn't sign a new ROH contract, so he can technically work wherever he wants for a short-term program. They used footage to introduce him from APW rather than ROH or New Japan, which was also telling about relationships. Cobb has been offered a deal by Cody, but his goal is working as much New Japan as he can right now. So not sure what you know, not sure... Uh, I'm sure you've talked to him, but is is what Dave wrote, is that sort of the sense of what you know about Jeff's future? I don't know. I haven't really talked to him. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't want to say too much, but like, I, uh, we'll see. We'll see what he 
does next for sure. I'm just looking forward to next week. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always excited to watch both shows, but I'm like really excited to watch AEW next week to see Jeff in the ring with Moxley. Um, I, I do hope they have a better match than they did at the, um, was a G1, right? They wrestled oh, yeah. G1, oh, yeah. Like nine minutes, but I think it's, I think this would be a lot better than that match for sure. Okay. So, so last question about Jeff. Are you going to be able to get him on this show? Yeah, I'm sure that's that's no problem. Okay, so we may need to do it sooner than later before he decides really what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't worry. We'll we'll, we'll definitely have him on the, the fight game, and he he loves the show, and uh, and he definitely wants to come on on the future. So it'll be fun. Talk to him about uh, whatever he decides to do. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about untuck it. I have a couple of trips to Vegas that I'm making this year. One is to see the AEW pay-per-view Double or Nothing uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is also near my birthday, so that'll be fun. And another in uh, probably in early July as my oldest turns 21. Vegas is the perfect place to wear an untucked shirt. If you think about going to Vegas, you're not trying to look fancy, but you're trying to look clean. You got your nice jeans, your hard bottom shoes, and more than likely a button up shirt of some sort. And untuck it shirts are meant to be worn out. They're not meant to be tucked in. So a lot of shirts that you buy that are dressy, tucked in shirts that are supposed to be tucked in, they're a little bit too long. They don't fit exactly the way that you would like it if it was t- untucked. So untuck it has tons of styles to choose from like the wrinkle-free button down the super soft flannels outerwear and more and they'll never look too baggy because they're made to be untucked so whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart relaxed style of your own untuck it is the way to go so visit untuckit.com and use code blue b-l-u-e for 20% off at checkout, that's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, now we're back. Let's go through our AD, AEW and NXT uh, just thoughts on both shows. Uh, I, I just I, I just kind of took some things out of both shows that I wanted to get your feedback on. And at the end, if I miss something, you can definitely bring it up. Um the things that stood out to me on AEW, the Santana interview with JR, I thought was really good, but mm. as a heel, mm-hmm. he came across way more as a babyface than he probably intended to. Though, if you go back to the Attitude Era in WWE, even before they really took off, JR would do these segments with someone like McFoley. Or something, and they would have these like babyface tendencies so that you could root for them as characters. But then for Foley, then he'd like set JR on fire or something, right? Like, so he would still show that he was a heel. In this case, Santana was like very much like it was like a hundred percent, mostly a hundred percent baby, babyface interview. I really liked it. I really liked to hear him talk. I think he's actually a much better promo than I even realized. But there was that little thing like, okay, you're supposed to be this like badass heel at the same time. What'd you think? One hundred percent agree. Um, I liked liked I liked it for what it was 
thought it was really well done, but <laughs> it's like they should have saved this for when he is a baby face and someone tries to take his eye and explain why this why this affects him so much and about his father instead of using it here where it, you kind of conflicted like, well, am I supposed to cheer this guy? For, mm-hmm. do, do we want him to get revenge on Moxley? Because that was a, a pull on a heartstring story that he told about his dad. So, yeah, I I, I think they they should have said, wait, maybe this is much better for when he's a baby face. We can do an angle like this, but mm-hmm. and I I still think the iPhone eye thing was was I understand them doing it. I just don't think they should have done it. I think uh, it was just too, especially in that same that show last week too when you had <laughs> Jer- uh, Moxley t- you know stabbing Santana, you had uh, Britt Baker knocking out a girl's tooth, mm-hmm. and then you had the ten lashings. I thought that was a little too much, but well, they, they're definitely going for. The shock value of that stuff, right? Like that seems to be where where they're going with a lot of this stuff is, you know, when you tune into AEW, you're going to see something shocking that mm-hmm. probably WWE won't do, and then you see the <laughs> then you see the the blood on WWE. So, I mean, you know, this is what competition, right? Competition breeds competition. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're the, while AEW may be going up against NXT, like. They know what the big show is uh, in WWE, and WWE knows, you know, even though it's NXT versus AEW, Raw is going to counter AEW if they feel like, you know, they, they need to. Yeah, 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 I understand. But uh, I think, like I said, this this angle with Santana, I would just held it off, man, to when he's a baby face, because God, man, imagine that. A ba- heel does that to him, then he tells the story with JR. Wow. I'm okay, here, here, here's my... Here's my thought on why they did this. And and I could be way wrong. But if you sell this as the main event, a hundred out of a hundred people know Moxley's winning the match, right? So if you set this thing up as Santana's actually not a terrible guy, like not that he's not a terrible guy, but you set this thing up as, oh, like, now I'm so much more intrigued about Santana than I ever was. You're a little bit more interested in the main event than you may have if they didn't do it, knowing that Moxie's going to win the match no matter what. I wonder if that was the reason they decided to showcase Santana a little bit in this in this package. I think maybe because last week he had that, you know, even though I thought it was kind of ridiculous, like he's able to cut a just passionate promo after he's got his eye stabbed. But, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, wow, what a promo he cut after, you know, on that segment. So I think they wanted to give, you know, they realized this guy can talk and let's give him some more TV time. And maybe Jim Ross brought up the idea, you know, they're kind of like, hey, I used to do these sit downs with Mick Foley and Dustin Rhodes in the, you know, mm-hmm. in the past. And um, or, or, or Tony Khan remember those and thought about it. So I think they just want to give him more time on the mic. And I, and I hope they do in the future because uh, he's definitely a really good talker. Britt Baker got tremendous heat using a line, chubby Whataburger faces in her continued pursuit to be the, uh, you know, the hated woman uh, on the on the show. I like the character a lot, but she's still going to have to get in the ring and that's where it's going to fall apart. And I wonder how long they... Like, you know, last week she'd had a match and it wasn't great, but she, you know, she, she got her heat at the end. 
uh, what do you, how did how would you continue this path of what they're trying to do with her, knowing that eventually she's going to have to get in the ring because everybody does, and uh, and you're going to have to have some payoff there. I was already tired of it after this one, you know. After I saw the same jokes about Tony, the Whataburger line was pretty funny. Um, I thought the interview went way too long. For me, it's like you know she has to get in the ring, she has to wrestle. You can't you can't avoid it, you know. Like you, she's gonna have to feud with uh god uh, does she feel with this nyla baby face is she a heel does it matter um will she be wrestling riho now i mean i, I would just put her with the best woman i don't know who who is the best who's her best woman would it be sheeta i i'm not i'm not sure Sheeta has a lot of holes is. like a lot of people like they 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 really put her over strong and i really like her too i think i think a lot of people kind of overlooks you know her flaws as a worker and um i don't know what leaders they really have in the ring i'm trying to think who's the who's the who's the old uh vet uh who wwe brought in for the may young challenge mercedes martinez no sakamoto oh uh, yeah she'll, she's in wwe though but i um, know i wish they could bring her in to just wrestle brit like a hundred times in a row but they just so that's gonna be like all year, <laughs> every Wednesday. Best uh, of 100. Best of 100. Uh, AW Dark exclusive. Yeah, they got to find some, I don't know, who's out there in Japan or someone. Uh, hope it's not Emi Sakura because oh nice. it's been nice not having uh, <laughs> the most weirdest gimmick. Oh, uh, no, it can't be that's weird as Orange Cassidy, right? That's that's, that's bizarre to me. So yeah. So wait, uh, you mentioned Orange Cassidy, and it it um something happened on Twitter today, where uh you know the the the, the, the Jim Cornette is retweeting a lot of his fans, you know, posting stuff about Big Dave, and someone posted a match that I'd never seen before of uh, Brian Alvarez and Orange <laughs> Cassidy. And so I, wa- I, I want to go back and watch it because I'm so intrigued because I think the way that Brian wrestled that match will sort of make me understand Orange Cassidy a little bit more because like uh, Bri- Brian, uh, Brian shoots Orange Cassidy to the ropes and then does a drop down. And of course, Orange Cassidy is walking <laughs> okay. and Brian Alvarez is just like, what's going on here so and then so Cornette, obviously because he's anti-dave right now he uh i don't know if he knew that was actually brian alvarez based on his tweet but you know he he made his comment about about dave or whatever but that just reminded me he's like oh, i want to go back and watch maybe maybe i'll understand orange cassidy after after brian alvarez i thought they used orange orange cassidy really well in the show in my picture in picture where i fast forward <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, this is I, I save this for last or almost last, depending on what else you want to talk about AEW. What did you think of Nyla winning the belt from Rio? Fine with it, okay with it. Um, time for Rio to lose. I, the match was going good, but then it lost me, dude. They lost me. I threw my hands in the air when Rio, ninety-eight pound Rio, is doing Snapdragon suplexes uh-huh. on Nyla. Uh-huh. I was like, all right. I'm gonna go look at my phone. You know, yeah. no, no, I watched. Was, I finished watching it, but I just kept shaking my hand. I was like, "Why? Did that we, was tough. Why? Why? Like, yeah. why do that? It's that stupid indie shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's that stupid. Like, let's just do it, and it, and it gets a pop. Sure, it gets a pop, but pop doesn't really mean drawing money. I don't think people understand that, right? Like, it's cool to hear a great pop, but like, like, you already ruined. Not ruined. You kind of you already tainted 
Nyla Rose from the beginning, having her lose early on to Rio, and and she's you know she's like, now you now you have to build her back up again. It's like they're doing stuff that their fans get pissed off about WWE about, right? They got a guy come in or a gal come in, they lose right away, then the WWE builds them back up because they you know they, we can build anyone back up, right? And they, people hate that about WWE. Same thing happened here with Nyla. Like when she started, like she should have been protected as this monster and no one's going to stop her. And yeah, then- you know, I, I, that, it's such an interesting thing that you say now that we have like the ability to, to look back because what I think they may have thought is that she was slightly better than she was, but also they their roster... Um, they didn't have anyone her size. So when you don't have anybody her size, uh, unless they had Kong. awesome, uh, but, but yeah, but awesome Kong is often injured. Right. And, and she's, I think she's gone again, but, yes. um, doing, doing the show or whatever, but you know, un- unless awesome Kong can, can have a feud with her, um, the, 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 the fact of the matter was, is like, okay, she's the only big person uh, on the women's roster that we have and we have all these small women and thus they had to go a, a slightly different way i guess for 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 what they wanted to do now if statlander is with them from day one then maybe that's the that's the main program right because statlander's you know she's she's kind of tall and and she she's a little thicker and they i think they could have had some matches but i think when they looked at the roster it's like okay we have these, you know, the, these smaller women who could actually move around and do spots and stuff. And Nyla is not as good as as, as them yet. And and it took them what it what was it uh, was it, what are they four or five months in now to to you know to, to go there. And I thought it was I thought it was the right move. Um, Big Dave liked this match a lot better than I did, but I think he sort of like what you said. He's looking at that pop by the crowd and and that crowd. That crowd loves Riho for whatever reason. Not saying she's a bad performer. But I, I I can see the... She manipulates them better than almost anybody on that roster because she's 98 pounds, she's meek, and then she explodes for a German suplex or Snapdragon suplex, like you said, and the crowd goes crazy. And so she's able, she has them in the palm of her hands because, as we mentioned before, you know, a, a heavily male wrestling crowd likes to uh, feel like they are connected to these mm-hmm. to these women wrestlers, and and she she manipulates them better than almost anybody on that roster, you know, except for maybe Jericho. But you don't need to have her Snapdragon suplex. You don't have need to have her Northern Lights suplex her. You just you can you can she was getting reactions by slipping and sliding out of things. I, I was like I was loving this match, you know. I was going to even like this, even though I was like, oh, here comes the table. But I like what they do with the table. You know, she used it as a ramp away and, mm-hmm. and drop kicked uh, Nyla. I thought that was really cool and different, something I haven't seen. And she's 98 pounds, so she won't break the table as she runs yeah, on it. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what you do with Nyla. You know, you say, like, if Nyla, you don't have another girl that's her size. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure they knew Rio was going to be Rio was going to be the first uh, champion, right? So what you do is you just don't put Nyla on TV right away. You leave her off TV for, you know, how, how many months to where, you you know, you're going to have her win the championship. Then you start debuting her before that, obviously, some vignettes. And then she starts squashing girls, squashing, squashing to where, like, everyone's like, man, 
Rhea's only 98 pounds. Can she survive Nyla Rose when they hook up? And they do. And she puts up a valiant effort. She's, you know, just like she did here and gets some some surprising near falls on the monster but then nyla just beats her and and and, and now she's unstoppable unstoppable champion so who's gonna beat nyla now and you know you can tell a story where, where riho kind of goes from the drawing board and works her way up and maybe finds uh finds a way to beat her later down the line or or someone else so i you don't have like this problem like you know they they're learning as they go you know obviously we talk about this all the time so they don't know they have you know they don't have a lot of guys didn't really have a history of booking you know they've have they're just part people there so you know there's you don't have to like i said you don't have to debut everyone and it's hard right now because it's only one two hour show it's getting another one soon which is going to help out a lot when it comes to exposure mm-hmm. for the roster i don't know how it's going to be for the brand of the overexposure of the brand but we'll see when that comes but that's what you have to do you kind of have to hold off on people and debut them later instead of just trying to throw them all on tv number one yep 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 um, yeah, the, you know, the, the, uh, the first ever tables match Broadway would be uh, Riho and Sasha Banks, right? Cause no one could break the table because they're so thin. Like, <laughs> I know, Nyla tried to power bomb her through a table the week before and just, oh, that poor girl, man. I'm like, oh, poor Rio. She was just had, she was just held in a force field by Pac. She couldn't run away. <laughs> and then she gets power bombed, not through the table, but bounces on the table. <laughs> All right. Anything else on that show? Um, you know, Moxley beats Santana, and then we already talked about this, what happens at the end with Cobb. This was my favorite AEW show. I really liked the show a lot. Um, not nothing. Not everything was perfect, but that's you know that's every wrestling show. Um, I know you liked the opener. I saw a comment that you liked the opener. I wasn't a fan of the opener though, just simply because nothing to do with the actual wrestling itself. You know, you have the Dark Order feuding or tempting the feud with SCU, right? So, the SCU's babyfaces in this scenario. Why are they working heel in this tag title match? I'd rather have just have them have a nice babyface, big move championship match. And just, you know, I think that they would have been final with that but i was kind of confused all of a sudden bam here comes scorpio sky cheating and then mm-hmm. i just thought that was a little little didn't really fit what they've been telling but other than that i i really enjoyed everything i was kind of pissed when i saw that moment when nyla got came back to the back and that was in picture in picture <laughs> and you don't see like she's having some kind of confrontation with kenny omega but you don't know what what's going on oh yeah oh yeah and and also didn't like in that segment as well is that Britt Baker should not have been in that segment. She was like just one of the girls, the B the B roll girls on the roster watching, you know, this moment. Like she doesn't need it. If if you're gonna push her as a top heel, she can't be involved in that kind of stuff like that. You have to have her separate from the rest of the girls. Well, what about my favorite part, which was Tony Khan hugging Nyla and then not realizing he was on camera and sort of scurrying to the back. After. Well, it's well, it's okay because it was on picture picture. It's so small. I came. I mean, I have a big, I have a big TV, but like, I can't even see what the heck that. I didn't. I didn't realize that was him. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about NXT. Uh, and you, know, the uh, the Roderick Strong and and uh, Velveteen Dream thing was so weird to me. Because I thought Velveteen was 
kind of the the jerk in in this thing. Like he, you know, he's got the the wife and the, and the kid's face on his tights with him right there. So insinuating that you know he's going to take Marina from Roddy, or he has taken Marina from Roddy. I don't understand that. Uh, that part of the story, and and Roddy is obviously one of the the main players on the heat, the the biggest heel team on NXT, and he's the one that's frustrated, and and you're like, yeah, Roddy, you know, beat him up, like what's going on here? So that that part of it is is kind of weird to me. Um, I, I like uh, I like Jonah Rock as Jonah Rock. I'm not sure I like him too much as Bronson Reed yet, but I know he's kind of very early in the game here. But yeah, what did you think about that whole segment with uh, with Vel? Latine and Roddy. Dream's just a unique character. I, I he's like not a I don't he's might be I hate saying this because I think you're the hero babyface, but he might be one of the few characters where you can accept being a little bit of both. Um on you know, walking a gray area, I guess you want to say. Um yeah. yeah, it's a very I, I my I was more upset the way they shot his promo. So dark and can't really see him, um, but well, I liked what he was saying. He's talking about being. He's setting the story there. He talked about being attacked, how they put him out, and now he's getting revenge. And yeah, you know, so they both have issues with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and Dream has always played mind games with everyone, right? Remember, say my name, all that kind of stuff he was doing before. So it, it fits with his character. Um, it is a. It's fun. I can't wait for that match next week. I'm pretty pumped for both shows next week, um, uh, and. Both have some strong shows coming up next week. It's going to be amazing. And I really, uh, yeah, I'm with you on Bronson Reed, too. I like Bronson a lot. I think he's a, like like a Nyla Rose, what we talked about earlier. He's a guy I just wouldn't throw out there. And I know like he wasn't just thrown out there because he actually has a reason to want to, you know, wrestle Roddy on this show because last week, you know, Undisputed Era attacked him. Yeah. But like I'm talking about let's go back, you know, you know, six weeks, eight weeks ago when he was just on there, he either would win and then lose. Like you have a guy like this who has a unique look, um, a fantastic, you know, agility for a big man. He's another one you want to kind of slowly debut, squash people, um, decide if he's a heel or baby. Um, I think he'd be great with the manager. What's Stokey Hathaway doing? Um, you know, like, like, or, or, what's his name uh, Robbie E maybe he's with him mm-hmm. um, you know he debut him like that I think it's I think traditional ways are just kind of sometimes people just kind of like they just want to throw him out there and, and get him on TV And but I think it's okay to hold him off and let him kind of get some momentum going before you beat him and he's too big and too um, and and too good even though I thought this match went way too long yeah. way too long especially for him uh, you could tell he was struggling out there, you know, towards the end. I mean, he still you know, pulled off a lot of great stuff. Um, I enjoyed the match, especially the beginning, because the the beginning was actually pretty brilliant, honestly. If you think about it, um, you know, Bronson comes out impromptu match, and they work it like they don't work it like they've been practicing this match during the day, right? It's 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 rough. It's uh, uh, there's not flowing. Um, it, it's like they're both struggling and and take to get the advantage. I it, like they this brilliant way to work it to where you know they they don't look like just a typical today's uh, modern wrestling match. Uh, it was I felt like a little bit of a throwback early on. It just went too long for me. The the only thing I I, I go back to is 
I saw Jonah Rock and Jeff Cobb at PWG. And the way that they built that match, and look, you know, Jeff Cobb is 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 super strong, but next to a uh, AOP or something like he's not the biggest guy in the world, right? But because they're in they're in PWG and a lot of small guys in PWG, they work this match as if they were two of the most athletic, gigantic men you've ever seen in your life, just throwing each other into corners it felt like the ring moved like Mm -hmm. that's how heavy they were in that match and then obviously you know they're both athletic as hell and jonah rock's doing stuff from the top rope and then seeing him in nxt i saw the house show in san jose He was doing a lot of comedy it wasn't very funny it was kind of like making fun of himself for being fat and i was like oh okay whatever that's for i guess that has its place but on nxt um, I know he's very early in the game, and at some point they will transition him into being somebody because I don't. I, I think he's I'm not saying that he's can't miss, but he's definitely sort of on the trajectory. Like if we look at Keith Lee and Dijakovic, like you know, four months ago or six months ago, they are not where they were today. And I think you know, six months in the future, Bronson Reed could be you know, in that, where those guys are today. So, but it's just, I I look at him and I go, I know what he can do. And I've seen him when he was really good and he is not there yet in NXT. And, you know, at some point he'll get there because I think he's really talented. Yeah. I mean, he has the potential to be, you know, this generation's Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, I I really, I truly believe that. And, you know, I I got, like, I can see WWE just, now we're going to make him heal and build him back up. And that's just modern wrestling, which the part of modern wrestling is that I don't like, you know, I, I, I'm a very, I think it's best to slowly bring these guys up and that's how you create stars and create momentum for these stars. All right. Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn were on this show. They did three skits. They weren't Fuji vice, but they were sort of buddy cop, you know, what one goofy guy and one serious guy, uh, you know, your every everybody cop movie that's ever been made, but uh, three they did. I think they did three at least. At least yeah. those were the ones that I saw. Yeah. But what, what what did you think of this? Because it was a little bit different from what you usually experience on NXT. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely. At first, I was like, hmm. Uh, but then at the end, I'm like, I enjoyed it. Um, it it got over their personalities. Um, it got over yeah the um the yeah, the buddy cop kind of you know odd couple um story that they want to tell with this team and I, riddle has something and i think it, he shines in these kind of segments like this and it's the entertainment aspect of wrestling and it's okay to have it a little bit on a show with one one or one act but not like a whole show of it right so i thought it was fine because it's just him and i thought the punchline was great like i know a guy that i know a guy who has an airplane and you know and it's triple h and that's pretty funny the he he's he's got the we we've mentioned the Jeff Spicoli thing already. It's a little bit of uh, Keanu Reeves from Bill and Ted. He's got you know I, I mean it's got to be somewhat you know his personality right like I, I don't think he's he's acting too much. I mean he's he's <laughs> definitely dialing it up. 
but uh, he was he was really good in these skits from that comedic perspective. Pete Dunne didn't really have to do much, right? Because he just has to be oh yes, yeah. be the stone face. Yeah, you know? exactly, He's the stone face guy. Um, but definitely Riddle is is, is talented. Um, I, I I thought the Triple H thing was funny, but you know at the same time it's like. Okay, like so you, you for the comedy aspect, sure, you you're not accepted on Triple H's airplane. I get it. Like that's the punchline for this whole skit. But I as, as long as, you know, it's a joke, then I'm fine with it, but I'm, I I was like I hope people don't think that, you know, you you guys are not big enough stars to <laughs> to have to ride with the luggage or whatever. I'm sure but, Pete um, Dunn can jump on Triple H's plane no problem, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and, and they, these guys are as we know just unbelievable in the ring so i think this these are gonna be, they're, they're they're one of the best tag teams out there they're this is this stuff's gonna be good it's gonna be positive for them it's gonna add more to their characters beyond the ring so i think it's good just don't overdo it you know yeah. but i think i don't know I've, from what i've seen I, I think a lot of people thought it was they're pretty entertaining so i have a feeling we're gonna see a lot more with of these two um in the future episodes which i'm okay a segment or two uh mm-hmm. each week all right, Johnny Gargano and Cameron Grimes had a really good match, uh, though I think, I don't know, I, I probably counted in, in the double digits of, of leg slaps mm-hmm. for, for stuff. But, uh, you know, Gargano is is back, and I hope he's feeling a lot better than he was. They're setting him up for the Finn Balor match, and it's, it's you know, it's one of the can't-miss matches of TakeOver. Like, those guys, uh, the expectations are, are very high for those guys, I would say. And I think they're probably going to deliver whatever those expectations are. Yeah, yeah. Ballard's on a roll. Gargano's always always really good. I I, I love this match. This match, is, this is almost my pick of the week. Because, But I just, a little more emotional connection maybe to the Jungle Boy MJF match for me. Mm-hmm. And I really, I was really happy for... Um, Jungle Boy because he just everything he hit everything he looked good um, looked confident um, you remember I was telling a story like you know hey man go out there and like throw some passion you know because yeah. remember he would just go out there because he's he's he was thinking he was thinking about the move what's coming up next and and he wasn't like let himself be free out there and 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 show some emotion and now he and he was so that that, that really really made me happy to see that from Jungle Boy. Uh, but this match I mean, you, is really you good. You could still you could still see him thinking about certain things. He, he's starting to but come he's, out, he's starting to get that confidence though. But he's also in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he's he's feeling those moments when he's he, when he's in there. And like it's it's so interesting because when I watch his uh, social media stuff, you could tell that he's doing a lot of that social media stuff just so he feels more comfortable mm-hmm. as an entertainer. And not just as a wrestler who could do a lot of athletic stuff. So seeing the evolution of him is one of my favorite things going on in wrestling today. Yeah, and then like like back to Gargano and Cameron Grimes, just two really good guys having a great match. Um, I thought it was placed perfectly in the during the crossover um, hour from eight to nine, and um, I thought they I thought they hit a, a home run with that match. Uh, you know, Grimes is just so underrated and uh, way better than i even realized it's just so funny like i talked about this a few times already but like it's like in tna or impact when i saw him in other places i'd be like yeah you know he's good you know he's good but like for some reason the hat 
the the music, the swagger that he has when he comes out. I like uh, Kevin Grimes seems like a main eventer to me. Uh, okay, so this is a match I didn't see because it was the one hour version of the show. But oh, what the hell? Rush and uh, <laughs> uh, Leo Rush and Angel Garza. I was gonna watch it back, but you know, people said, "Ah, oh, you know, it was okay. It wasn't as spectacular as maybe it could have been." But uh, Leo Rush won the match to be the number one contender to the uh, to Jordan Devlin, and I did see the two five live match, uh, the three way with Jordan Devlin. Uh, Jordan Devlin, uh, I think it was Tony Nice and Leo Rush, and that live was fun as hell. Like that was a really fun match. But Leo Rush is now the number one contender for that title. Yeah, that's that's really it was really good. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Uh, not as good as of course the title change uh, about, a, about a month back. Uh, I, I I thought Garza was going to win, and I was actually surprised to see that. Or Garza is going to the main roster. Right. Yeah, he could be he could be Raw. I would here's the here's the thing I would have done with this with this match. I would have blended the raw storyline with it. I would have had Garza come out smiling, doing his thing, being confident. I would have had first of all Selena Vega with him. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And then as Garza, I would have Garza cut a promo in the beginning about his, you know, his cousin and Rey Mysterio. And out comes Alberto Carrillo, comes out the crowd and they start beating on him. Here comes security, pulling him out, blah blah. And he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna beat you." You know, Garza gets out of the mic. I'm gonna beat you like I just beat Rey Mysterio. And from behind, there's Rey Mysterio right behind him, springboard drop kicks. Oh my god, it's crazy! It's crazy! Crazy. Go to commercial. They go to commercial. Garza's flustered. Here comes Leo Rush. They have a match. Leo Rush beats uh, Garza because he's been all flustered the whole, you know, thinking about Ray, kind of looking over his shoulder at his, you know, his cousin's going to show up. Is Ray going to show up? I don't know. I thought they, this is a perfect opportunity where they could have used blended some roster lines with the with the Wednesday show. That um, did they, you didn't see Devlin's promo after? No, I didn't. Obviously. Yeah, he kind of really he had a really uh, face. He came out face to face with Rush and cut a hell of a promo. That guy is cooking on all cylinders, man. He's really found his character and who in his confidence and totally different wrestler than when I first. Oh, I seen him in Zero One a long time ago as a young boy, but I mean since I since his debut in the WWE UK. All right. And then uh, Adam Cole against Kushida. Another good match. I, I think, you know, very similar to the AEW main event where you're like, okay, how do I watch this match? And in my brain, knowing that Adam Cole is going to win this match, you know, Part of wrestling to me is sort of watching it and going like, okay, who's going to win? And a lot of these matches, even though they're good, you do know who's going to win. So I thought it was a good match. It you know really really well worked, and it was a setup to the uh, you know to the face off with him and Champa. I would say before that match, mm-hmm. my favorite part of NXT was Champa's promo. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. I love the so well. good. And also, let's, let's give a shout out to that vignette of. Hyping up the North American title match from Keith Lee. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark Henry. Henry. Fantastic. Dude, I uh, love it, that it, stuff. It came a little bit out of left field. I wasn't exactly sure. I was like, wait, is this the uh, Black History segment? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, he's just putting these guys over. It's like, ah, great. Like, that, yeah. that's awesome. Really, really got me into... I mean, I was already hyped for this TakeOver show on Sunday, but, like, really got me in 
really want to it made that match even that much more important right so um great great stuff when it came to the trompa promo when it came to this uh this vignette with uh dijak and lee um fantastic stuff the only thing i was disappointed about this show nothing the wrestlers did nothing the show itself the booking i'm fine with everything um this is they had one of those full sale crowds that are hard to react to anything yeah yeah i agree um, like Come on, people! Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Cole and Kushida had a good reaction, but it wasn't like on fire. But I don't know. Maybe they were feeling the same thing. Like, we know, you know, Cole is wrestling Champa, you know, in yeah, and, a few and, and days. Look, I, I know AEW new kid on the block. Those fans desperately want them to succeed. Mm-hmm. But if you put that NXT show in front of these AEW crowds, those NXT shows would just seem more hot. Than, than they are in front of that full sale crowd. Yeah, and they did have one match I thought was kind of a huh, and that was the Candice. Uh, did, that, did you see that one? Candice no, Ray. That, that was uh, not on there. And and uh, Dakota Kai. Yeah, just 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 just, just uh, the first part was for me rough, but uh, and then like like Tegan came out and attacked Dakota afterwards, and like when she attacks her, like no reaction, and I'm like, dude. Where were you guys last week? You were going crazy for the match. <laughs> I wonder if it's just they've just done it so many times. Uh, maybe, but then like, but when they did the pull apart, people were like, "Let them fight." There's a big chant for that. It was just weird, a weird, a weird crowd. I thought it kind of affected some of the matches, um, but uh, but other than that, I thought it, once again two really really good shows on Wednesday. I know someone posted. I think it was Brian on our Facebook group uh, posted about your feelings about wednesdays and does it bring mm-hmm. back memories of money nitro and, and the, the monday night wars but i mean i put same rather than i have comment not to that level of course you know that's that was just a different time and plus i mean i just watched wrestling differently back yeah then too. exactly but i i do i look forward to watching every wednesday maybe because i know we're going to also talk about it and yeah, i love yeah. this I, this is my favorite thing to do every week uh besides uh with my family is just uh, you know to talk do this show and so i don't know it's it's just uh i look every wednesday and i'm like like i said like I talked about earlier i'm pumped for wardlow versus cody in the cage i'm mm-hmm. pumped for velveteen dream versus um um Roderick strong and also mm-hmm. jordan devlin versus leo rush they're gonna those matches are gonna be phenomenal all right, so let's look at TakeOver this weekend, which is on Sunday, going head up against the uh, NBA All-Star Game, of all things. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not going to watch this live. I'll probably watch it uh, Monday morning because I actually have the day off. So I, I mean, I'll probably be just watching it bits and pieces on all, all day Monday. Um, but uh, what, are you, what, what are you looking forward to? I mean, look, there's six matches. You know, I, I don't know. In the ring, Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, how it's going to be, but you're just looking forward to them finally, you know, getting and getting that brawl, that street fight that they're going to have. But other, other, otherwise, like, what is the match that you're most looking forward to on this show? Wow, man, this this card is a loaded takeover. I'm excited. I'm excited for everything. There's the, obviously one match that you kind of like circle is that Gargano Balor match. Mm-hmm. Should be off the charts. Should be. You know, I feel bad because these guys have to go with that expectation. But I, you know, I think they're going to do their match. And then it's I mean, gonna, I mean, I think great. as they get in the ring, the expectation is like, you know, however you rate matches, if it's stars or whatever, you know, eight out of ten or nine out of ten or four and a half star, whatever. Like right when they get in the ring, people are expecting this to be yeah, yeah. like such a high quality. Yeah, you can't just, you can't just, you can't just. Uh, expect to have it. it just has to happen but uh yeah i think they'll they're just f- phenomenal 
athletes and workers. I, I think they'll definitely deliver. And also, I'm curious about Champa and Cole because, you know, we know Champa had a little bit of an ankle injury and how's that going to play into the match? I, I don't feel he's going to win the title here, but we'll yeah. see. Um, Though if he did, it'd be totally fine too because he's like, you know, he, he has mm-hmm. more passion for, you know, his 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 uh journey than almost every anybody right like like if i'm trying to think back like who has wanted this title back more than champa yeah it's amazing and also you know we got the broser weights versus undisputed era yeah that match <laughs> should be off the chart so yeah it's definitely worth your time to check this show out i'm gonna not i can't watch it live and never do but i'll definitely be waiting there like a kid in a candy store for the, <laughs> the wife and kids to go to bed so i could throw on uh take over portland but i have a question for you though real quick real quick yep. let's just circle back to aw real quick wardlow versus cody mm-hmm. first time we're seeing wardlow wrestle on AEW tv and most likely not saying it will happen but most likely because the story wise he loses his first match. What do you, how do you feel about that? You know what it reminds me of, and this is I mean, this is a weird comparison, and it's gonna we're gonna go all the way back to uh, 1999. But remember when Big Show came in and interrupted the uh, the cage with Vince and mm-hmm. and Austin on that Valentine's Day Massacre show? We expected Big Show to come in and just be this like crazed monster, untouchable. I don't know how soon thereafter, but it felt like it was pretty soon where him and Austin had a match and Austin just beat him. Yeah, in San Jose. Yeah, I was there. Is that what, is that what it yeah, was? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was San Jose. If I think, so, or something like that. I know he. I know I saw him pin him in San Jose. And so I have similar feelings now. I think they, hopefully they'll protect Wardlow a little bit more. But, you know, because of what you, basically what you're saying, like Cody is, you know, the top baby face. Austin was the top baby face. Um they can't they, they've they've booked themselves into a situation where he has to win that match and uh hopefully it'll be it'll be good i think it will be because it is the first cage match and i think they want to utilize that match in the future and they don't want to bastardize that match so hopefully it'll be a good match the thing the thing that's a little bit of a wild card to me is i don't know if wardlow can wrestle i don't think i've ever seen him do anything other than what he's done on tv so far so It'll, it'll hopefully it'll be a lot of smoke and mirrors and and using the cage. Cody's knows how to use stuff. He knows he's gonna you know blood. Gonna be, use blood. There'll be blood. And and I I just hope that uh, that there's enough uh, in that match to where you know Wardlow doesn't come off looking like a you know whatever uh, uh, just a, a, a non uh, you know I, I was know, a non bad guy or whatever. I was joking with my buddy. Yeah, we, we were talking about this, and I said, well, if it'd be funny, you know, I don't, I would never book this, but it'd be funny if he gets in the cage and he has two left feet and just <laughs> Cody beats him right away. And, and I was like, oh, no, don't book that. Please do not book that. But just would be uh, funny. But I, I until it too was brought up to me, I didn't realize, yeah, right, we haven't seen Wardlow on TV just destroying people. He's interfered <laughs> and punched guys or, or two, but, like, he hasn't, like... I mean, he's got to take like 90% of this match, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Cody, and again, he, Cody should be, what, less than going in anyways with the strap. And, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure be, uh, either MGF would throw his belt 
you know, through the, through the, the, the grate of the cage, mm-hmm. chain length of the change and, or maybe the warlord takes off his belt and just whipping him again. That'd be crazy. So maybe Cody gets a revenge with the big old belt shot for Wardlow. you know, um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if you, if you heard, but, uh, Cody said that when, when Wardlow did get the one strike with him with the belt, he said he like, yeah, yeah. Almost got knocked out or something because he yeah. hit him so hard. Yeah, I, I listened to that the interview with him, which I really enjoyed. You guys did a great job. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, I can imagine now because you can't you can't work belt shots, right? You just yeah. I mean, there's well, actually Cornette put it perfectly. You don't you can't work belt shots, but you can the belt is the work. That's what kind of belt you use, and, yeah, et cetera. So it was, yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, okay, so the the match that I'm most looking forward to is. Um, Lee and Dijakovic because I think I, I will say that the matches that they've had together and also I think there's been some three ways as well have been good but they haven't been takeover good and I'm waiting for them to have their takeover good match and I I mean and so so I can't wait for that match that that's my match but you know we have Dakota Kai Tegan Knox obviously Cole and Ciampa for for the title undisputed era and the Broserweights Finn Balor and Gargano and the one that we haven't really talked about Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, and they actually talked about on on Raw and on NXT mm-hmm. how you know it's, we're kind of sleeping on Bianca here a little bit, and and you know who before we get to the Charlotte match, Rhea does have to beat Bianca Belair, and unfortunately because of the way that the Raw angle has played out, it does feel a little bit like it's uh, overlooked as as yeah. a match. Yeah, but I thought this week they did a great ink quick. First, a great quick squash by uh, by Bianca Blair for Santana Garrett. Perfect. It was perfect amount of time. Perfect squash. Um, and then a great moment with Rhea and Bianca laying her out with her big finisher. Just classic, simple booking stuff that you know works every time. I think it's time for the We Want Flair segment, the last segment for our Flair Fujinami Super Brawl match that we first started talking about two weeks ago. And I'm going to apologize a little bit in the beginning because this is going to be a little long because this is really like the crux of of why we even did this podcast. Uh, it's called We Want Flair because of this moment that we're about to describe uh, and, and what happens when uh, Ric Flair and Jim Hurd go mano a mano with uh, Ric Flair's contract situation. So where we last left you was the match at Super Bowl, which was in uh, which was in May. And so the first show after that, or the first main show, obviously there's TVs and stuff. But the first main show was the Clash of the Champions 15 and that show was June 12th, 1991. So a couple things are happening at this moment. It looks like Dusty's been like pulled off of TV from his, for his announcing position. And Dave hinted in the observers in that time that it was because he was probably putting himself over more necessarily than the talent. Um, and it, you know, he, and, and it, it may not even have been that it's just that the way that the crowd reacts to him as dusty roads, he's just bigger than life, uh, all the time, but they, they move dusty out for this show specifically. And they move in Tony Schiavone to work with Jim Ross. And that also happens 
at the Great American Bash show, which is the following month. So Dusty's out. This uh, this Clash of the Champions show, pretty interesting. Were you able to watch to watch it back at all? Um, I watched like ninety percent of it or eighty five percent of it. Yeah, me too. It, it, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of building of new guys in. You saw PN News, you saw Diamond Stud, you saw a young uh, Steve Austin, stunning Steve Austin with Lady Blossom. Uh, you saw PN News with uh, great rapper, not Salt and Peppa actually. <laughs> It was Peppa and Spinderella. I don't, where, where was Salt? How come Salt wasn't there? Do you know how many years it took me to figure out what Spinderella's name? <laughs> so one day I'm like, ah, oh, she's a clever girl. <laughs> Spinderella. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but they, they they had they had two like actually they had, they had like three real um, things that they wanted to get done in this show. Obviously, they want to set up Flair's number one contender for the Great American Bash, which is Luger beating Great Muda. Unfortunately, they didn't even really have much of a match because it was a very short match. Um, Lex doesn't even win with his move. He wins with a power slam after Muda tries to spray Lex's eyes and somehow Lex blocks it. I was a little disappointed in that match, but you know it proved a, it was a purposeful match to get Lex looking as strong as possible for that cage match. The other one was you know to showcase Flair as a vulnerable champion going into the match with Lex because previously you go all the way back to 1988 on pay-per-views and Flair is, you know, by the skin of his teeth, you know, Luger cannot get that title from him. So you're trying to build this moment of like, look, this is the time. Lex is going to win this match and we want people to buy the show to see Lex finally win his title. And then the other thing was... They're like showing all of these new guys like at once. Like I, I can't remember a show where part of like at the same time as having all these main events and, and progressing angles, you're just debuting guy after guy after guy. Not debuting, but really putting them in, you know, on, on the Coming show. Attractions. Is, right. Yeah. And and so, and again, you know, it's PN News. It's Johnny B. Bad and Black Blood. Is, uh, Black Blood. What's the tag team that was coming in at the same time? I can't remember the tag team, but um, no, it was the Hardliners. But there was another team. But then even um, you know, Big Big Josh comes. Patriots. No, I don't think it was them. Um, But Big Big Josh comes a little bit before, and. By this show, he's kind of already like a a vet. Like he's you know, he's losing to to as the to dance, yeah to Dan Spivey. No, as a character, obviously, you know Matt Bourne has been been around for for years and years and years. But you know he loses Spivey and then he comes and helps Dustin. So he's already kind of in the mix. But you know it felt like you know Big Josh was still sort of new as a character. So interesting kind of thing that they were trying to do. You know Dusty trying to bring in new guys, but at the same time set up the Great American Bash. So it was an interesting show it's just everything just felt so rushed including probably the best match on that show which was the uh, steiners and uh uh defending their iwgp tag team title versus hase and chono yeah dusty booked way too much on the show a lot of matches didn't be on it um I, you know i, I would i would have kept the pnu stuff with the salt and pepper or salt, salt or whatever spinderella spinderella and um but you know you you don't need you don't need you don't even need Steve Austin versus Joey Max here you don't need um, and, and that was like thirty seconds yeah still you don't need it uh, you don't need Big Josh Dance by I tell you that right now um, 
it just took away from a lot of matches and you only have a two hour show and it really affected of all matches your main event yeah because that was a i haven't seen that match in a very long time and what a letdown that was anticlimactic finish big time uh, they they they're trying to tell a longer story within 18 minutes. I think they had or 16, 18 minutes or whatever it was. And, they, you know, they needed 30. They needed 30. If you really want to see a really great Ric Flair, Bobby Eaton match, uh, you can find it. some February 1990, which is funny. Rick, uh, Jim Ross says they haven't competed against each other in six years, even though they've competed together against each other in February 1990. In the <laughs> so um, it's on YouTube somewhere. You can find it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, a really good match but yeah this definitely what a letdown that main event was and i remember being super hyped for that because i was such a big midnight express fan and a bobby eaton fan and of course rick flair is one of my all-time favorites and i thought oh man they're gonna have this classic you know you put two out of three out of falls back then as a kid i thought oh my god it's gonna be the greatest but now i not a big fan of two out of three fall matches yeah so um uh i just remember i think as a kid i liked it but i also like at the end you're like i liked it but I thought I was getting more. Almost the same feeling I had with the Scott Steiner Ric Flair match from the, the class previously. Yeah. Okay. So trivia note here. Sting uh, comes out to give uh, props to the young Stinger who's dressed just like him. Do you know who that child was? MJF. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. It was Kevin Sullivan's son, Ben. Oh, good old Ben. And Ben's mom was Matt Bourne's wife at that time. I she did great. Yeah, she was protecting her son. And but, and young Ben looked looked just like Sting. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hair yeah. and everything. Kevin, um, I want to check your stuff. Um. <laughs> so, uh, so a couple things happen uh, immediately. So... The hardliners come in and, and attack the Steiners to set up a match uh, f- uh, at some point with, with the Steiners. Uh, Scott Steiner tears his bicep like two days after this show. So he is out of commission at this point, and, and that affects the Great American Bash show because he was one of the guys in, in the match, um, the cage with, match. With, yeah, with his brother and Missy, and then was it uh, the hardliners and, uh, and Dangerously? Uh, yes, yes. But I think Arn ended up taking the spot, right? With Rick That's Steiner. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. So uh, so Scott gets hurt, and, and that affects that match, which was a big match. They 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 promoted that match almost harder than they promoted the, the title match at that time. So uh, then the, uh, the July 1st issue of the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave is mentioning that there are some struggles with with Rick and and WCW. He says, according to four different company sources uh, during contract negotiations between Ric Flair and uh, Jim Hurd, or Ric Flair's attorney, Dennis Guthrie, Hurd told Guthrie the company was giving Rick 30 days notice and rumors began that Rick's final day with the company would be either the pay-per-view in Baltimore or the week after in LA, Hurd denied the story to Dave, and he mentioned that to me before that Hurd, you know, didn't. He actually denied it and didn't know what was going on. It wasn't like he was lying, and said that the two sides are simply negotiating. Um, and the negotiation was that Rick would take a huge pay cut. Rick, at this point, is earning about seven hundred to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year, and that's without you know merch or whatever 
trading cards or whatever they had back then. Um, so Flair's current contract at that point was through June 1, 1992. So he still had a full year on his contract as they're trying to renegotiate it. So according to Jim Hurd, he believes that Flair has an escape clause in his contract that would allow him to quit provided he gave 30 days written notice. And Hurd said that WCW doesn't actually have that clause with Rick which means that they can't legally give Flair notice without having to pay off the full contract. Although, in a lot of these contracts, there are loopholes, and, and eventually, as it, as it turns out, that, that that's what will, what will come to be. So, the very next issue, the lead story, is that basically Flair is gone. And so, um, the actual reason, like, when, when, I'm, when I'm sort of thinking about this and listening to this and learning all about this, what I thought happened was that they wanted Rick to lose to Lex. And Rick said, I will lose to Lex, but we have to extend the contract and, you know, I'm not taking this gigantic pay cut. And they said no. And he said, okay, I'm not losing then. And then it was like this standoff. And that's sort of what happened. But what I didn't realize is that the reason why WCW wanted to cut his contract wasn't just because it was him, though Hurd and, and Rick didn't get along. So I'm sure it looked like that. <clears throat> and and um, it was because they were losing so much money. Mm-hmm. They had lost something like, uh, I have the number here. Uh, they, they had lost six point four six five million dollars in 1990 and they were paying you know they were paying rick uh over uh, uh you know three quarters of a million i think lex at this point is making like six hundred thousand. sting is probably making something similar and uh and you know they were still willing to 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 try to bring back sid vicious for you know I, not not quite that much but they were still trying to spend money so I just assumed that this was just, you know, Rick and 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 the just the leverage and stuff, but there was really a money issue with these guys and and you know, you think about, you know, uh we we've talked about this before, you know, Ted Turner saying, you know, wrestling will always exist on my channel. Uh but, you know, 6 million 6 million dollars a year for a uh, just a TV rating is, mm-hmm. is not good business. So I, I, that that's the part that I didn't really realize when I was when I was thinking about this um, before I started reading through these old observers. Um, so so Flair's fired, uh, and, and they didn't reach an agreement on a contract extension, which would have been from extending his June one ninety two contract through nineteen ninety four. This is what Flair wanted. Flair wanted an extension so that he's secure through 1994. So, um, so they said, you know, they were at the standstill. WCW instead said, Nope, we're terminating this contract effective August one, 1991. So there had to be some sort of loophole, uh, in order for them to do that. So in motion is, Ric Flair is scheduled to drop the WCW title to Barry Windham on July 1 in Macon, Georgia. That was what they had set in stone so that Barry walks into the Great American Bash 
as the champion. Supposedly, Rick was on vacation or something before the Great American Bash. So they set this thing up. Wyndham would defend his his newly won title in Baltimore, and they would play the Wyndham title victory on TBS, even though that was just going to be a house show and not an actually a tape show. So uh, they were going to play it maybe the Saturday before the bash. So then what happens is, is, is that doesn't happen, right? Like Ric Flair doesn't show up in Macon. Uh, the whole thing isn't going to fruition and Flair gets stripped of his title and they announce eventually that Wyndham and Luger in the cage winner wins the world title. And uh, Dave wrote that it's the first time in 43 years of the NWA WCW title that the championship actually didn't change hands. So I read in, uh, I look at Rick's book, and I was kind of wondering what, from from his point of view, what like what he was going to say. So he says that he was ready to leave for Macon and drop the title when a termination notice was faxed to his attorney. Then, as he's walking out the door, Heard calls him and says, "You're fired." So I thought that was kind of weird because I just assumed that he was never going to make it and, and it was just sort of a standstill. So of course, I utilize our, 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 best, uh, our best reference in Big Dave. And I just asked him, I was like, you know, here's what Rick said in his book. What's the real story? He said, if they had given Rick the extension, he shows up in Macon. But if they didn't, then he was not going. So more than likely, he was not going to go. So... When you're watching, and I think both of us, you know, you're you're a couple years younger than me, but I'm 15, and I'm just like so dialed into this stuff. Like this is the first, um, the first year for me where I sort of feel like truly inside, like I, I care about what's going on behind the scenes, and so I, I I know this stuff is happening, and it's just so interesting to me. But as you're watching TV. And you're watching WCW Saturday night or World Championship Wrestling back then. And you see the little thing that says Ric Flair has been fired from WCW. Like, what are you thinking as a fan? I was shocked. I mean, I, di- I didn't know the in-, in the backstage stuff. I just knew Ric Flair was a champion one day. And all of a sudden, here's Jim Hurd with the announcement that he stripped Ric Flair of the title. I think might have used the term of like not fulfilled contractual obligations or right. something like that, right? Uh, really shocked, really bummed because in my bones, I felt that my boy, Lex Luger, was going to win the title at the Great American Bash um, 91. And it was his time. And I guess uh, his uh, number one rival, Ric Flair. And I was pretty down about that and um i was happy he won it at the pay-per-view but it just didn't have that same feeling if you would have beat rick flair so think about the leverage piece of this so flair from 1990 his whole goal in 1990 right is to get sting ready to be the champion. So Sting's a champion, Sting's main eventing, all the house shows. <clears throat> Flair is still in a high position, but he's not as valuable to WCW as a main eventer. And his goal is kind of like 
not putting guys over, but really making the younger guys or the guys who are underneath ready, right? Look good. Uh, you know, Brian Pillman, we've talked about Brian Pillman uh, a lot. You know, he, he, you know, he worked w- with Flair and he was kind of like a, a Flair protege a little bit. But, you know, for Flair, his role was making other guys look better rather than being the world champ in 1990. And it would have probably existed in 1991 if Sting would have been a successful champion. So from Flair's perspective, he doesn't really have a lot of leverage to keep that top dollar contract as the top guy because he just spent the whole year really trying to get other guys over. So that's an interesting leverage piece from WCW, like being like, okay, look, you're you're not as valuable to us Mm -hmm. in this position. And if we're going to pay guys to be the top guys, it's got to be... Luger and Sting because they're actually working on top. What is your sort of thought about that? Um, I can see that. I think mostly the Turner executives were just like, hey, we need to go younger. We need people that are going to, you know, get the kids because they were trying to keep up with WWF right at the time. So they looked to a guy like Sting. They looked to a guy like Luger, the Steiners. That's who they saw as who we have we don't need flair we have these guys but they don't un- they never understood because they're not they were in the business they're executives of a network tv network but they're not in the pro wrestling they don't understand it was rick flair was the straw that stirred that drink mm-hmm. and made sting look great made luger look great etc 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 they didn't understand the value of rick flair or what he had to that brand and that's the the sad you know the sad truth of all that story because you know it's un, that's it happens in wrestling all the time these, these people that don't know um hasn't done anything in the wrestling business think they know everything because they read something on online or back then the uh the dirt sheets right they read like they would read the observer and and they would um, think they know this and that about the wrestling business. And if they were reading it, they would understand that Ric Flair was, you know, one of the greatest of all time. It's just a sad situation looking back. And I, you know, as a kid you have, we have, you know, those, those rose gold, was it the, you know, you just think about the, the good old days, right? You don't, you know, I don't know anything. I think they're making money. I don't know. They're losing 6 million in 1990. And it's just so, it's just, just bones me out. Like I know Jim Ross has a lot of throwback shows and covers like shows like this and um, time periods like this. And it's just like, he, he you know, just sad when you hear about like all the drama behind all of it and what WCW could have been. And it's just really just bums me out. So I try to hold on to my memories as a kid, but it just, and the reality behind some of this stuff is just, just traumatizing. When you, <laughs> so this is sad. So we, we began the, in January, we, you know, the, the January segment was about the Tokyo Dome match, but we started by saying that, the original kind of conflict was Dusty and Rick. Dusty had been fired from uh, WCW in 88. And some of that was because he and Rick were, you know, kind of in the same stratosphere and he wanted Rick to lose. And, and there was drama there. So, you know, Meltzer brings up this point in in one of you know he, he wrote a lot of words on on Rick leaving. There's like three issues in a row where where this was uh, you know the lead story. He basically said that Flair was at least partially responsible for Dusty's departure as Booker in '88 when the two had a blow up and Flair was asked to drop the title at Starrcade '88 to Rick Steiner in five minutes. 
Unfortunately for Rhodes, Jim Crockett wasn't in charge of the company anymore, and TBS originally planned to build the company around Flair. That wasn't the reason Rhodes ended up out as Booker, but it led to a few situations that were the reason. And whether this was true or not, certainly there were a lot of people that expected Flair's role after losing the title would simply be to put over Dustin Rhodes, Dusty's son, and WCW would will have to get itself a new actual belt because Flair owned mm-hmm. the big gold belt. Like, that was his belt. Yeah. And he didn't have to return it when they took it off of him. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing as we as we tell the rest of the story. So part of the impetus for this big disagreement with Flair and Jim Hurd goes back, we talked about 88, but it goes uh, fast forward from 88 to March of 1990. Flair refused to drop the title in March of 1990 unless he got an extension on his contract, which is the same contract that was going to expire in 92. The flip side was that he was he would say, okay, I'll drop the title, and assuming, I think this was to Lex, that if I drop the title, I will either get an extension or I will get an opt-out so that I could actually leave my contract. And if he lost and he did opt-out, the thought was that he was going to go to WWE at that time in March of 1990. For whatever reason, that didn't happen. And so then I think it's what, uh, two months later or three months later, no, four months later, he loses to Sting. And when he loses to Sting, the thought is that, okay, Rick's going to get an extension through 94, actually, or he'll get this opt-out clause. So none of those things happened. And you, as you can imagine, we are now over a year later and Rick is saying like, look, I'll do business, I'll do business, but I need this. And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll figure that out. And it never happened. And so by 1991, he's sick of it. And he's like, look, either pay me or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or go to hell. So um, here was an interesting tidbit. At the same time in in 1990, WCW offered Randy Savage 500k to jump to WCW. And the reason why the 500k number is interesting is because had Savage jumped at 500k, what they wanted Ric Flair to sign for was I think I think it was a 350 350 and then 250 or something or something like that for a three-year contract but but even going back as far as you know just as soon as a year they were still offering you know more than that to get guys over from wwf so uh what role could have dusty played in this well rick wasn't obviously wasn't booked very strongly the 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 entire year when he beat sting his first uh, opponent is Tatsumi Fujinami, and we saw how we, you know, we we just did, you know, several weeks of segments on how weak the build was to that show. Um, he's he's you know he's also still wrestling Sting, and be, the fans are kind of tired of that, so the, those programs aren't drawing. The one program that is actually drawing is Eligante, but if you watch the TV, you would never know that he's actually in a program with Eligante. So. If you are someone who thinks that, yeah, you know, Dusty is not necessarily wanting Flair to succeed either, you could you could make that point there. 
So here's where it gets a little tricky and where you had actually hinted this after the first uh, We Want Flair at the end of the first month. The NWA board tells WCW, you can have your Barry Windham, you could have your Lex Luger. Ric Flair is still the NWA champion. (laughs) So the championship belt itself is the NWA championship belt. There is now no longer any reason for Flair to return it to WCW. Even, I mean, although, I mean, he also owns the belt as part of his contract settlement with Jim Crockett from a few years back. And, uh, and, and, and to Crockett, he was saying as part of that was like, look, if you ever lose this title, we will buy it. We will give you money for it so that it could still be our title. So those are deals that he had with Jim Crockett. Um, at this point, Dave is saying, like, here's here's the storyline. If WCW let, you know, if, if Ric Flair doesn't go back, here, here's how Vince McMahon could use him. He lays out the entire Hogan-Flair thing as Flair being the outsider. But at the end, he summarizes and, and he goes, but Vince probably wouldn't do it because he doesn't even want to acknowledge that there's an outside company. It's actually pretty interesting to read that what Big Dave lays out is not too dissimilar from what actually happened. So, you know, kudos to, to Big Dave for sort of understanding the the uh, the lane there. Um, so Ric Flair himself talks about during this time, you know, you, you we've heard the stories that, you know, Rick has actually had issues with confidence before, even though, you know, you're like, look, you're Ric Flair. How could you possibly have problems with, with confidence? And um, in his book, he says, it's hard to say you've been dicked around when you're making big money, but I just couldn't handle the confrontations day to day. It was the first time that I ever had to deal with not being wanted. I lost my confidence, started having terrible anxieties. There were times when I couldn't feel my hands. I imagined that my jaw was stuck and I couldn't move it. Like that's everybody's nightmare. <laughs> like your your jaw just gets stuck. Um I remember being thrown across the ring and getting scared that I wouldn't be able to raise my arms before I hit the turnbuckles. I started pinching myself during matches. I'd roll on the floor, bite my fingers, pinch my forearms and biceps. It definitely affected my performance. I couldn't tell anyone because I didn't understand what was going on. I still melt down just thinking about it. So, uh, the situation happens and on from Flair's point of view is... He tells Doug Dillinger that his security, or no, he tells Jim Hurd because Jim Hurd wants to send Doug Dillinger to get the belt. And Flair's like, look, as long as Doug brings the deposit that I had to put down to be champion in the first place, he can have the title. But I need my deposit and I need the interest owed on my deposit for putting it down on, on being the champion. And so him and him and Hurd just do not just absolutely do not see eye to eye. Jim Hurd doesn't understand these existing things that are going on. And Rick says uh, he immediately sent the big gold belt to Vince. I don't I mean, who knows if that really happened in that way. That's how Rick remembers it. So my question to you after that long after that long spiel is. When you're watching this happen on TV, you know it's, I don't know if you know it's real or not, but do you think 
did you think that Flair is actually coming back? He's showing up. He's going to run into the cage and and something's going to happen at the Great American Bash and everything's going to be, you know, what it was with Rick before then. Like, how close were you to this situation in knowing sort of the, the real from the fake? I, I didn't know the, the real from the fake. I just thought every, I, when it happened though, for some reason in my gut, I just felt like it was real. So mm-hmm. I, he was gone and I was very like really upset about it. Cause like, cause he's one of my favorites and, um, just being just bummed out, like, uh, just being down. And then that's the same. And then, and then and it soon happened. Like I think with July 1st, that's when they talked about it. Right. Mm-hmm. On TV. And then like, Two weeks later, or a week later, they're and they're they're, they're now they're, they're still they got to promote Great American Bash, and it's Luger versus Wyndham, and on the, the match itself, I'm fine with because they always had good matches, but it's still not Luger and Flair, which I really want to see, and really want to see Luger beat Flair. So I, I I was just down and out, and I remember being so down and out watching that pay per view, Great American Bash '91. That's the first pay per view actually I actually fell asleep watching. It's a uh, I remember just waking up like middle of like Rock and Roll Express versus uh, each other, Rick and Moore versus Robert Kinson, mm-hmm. and thinking like, wow, I've never done that before, right? I never fell asleep in a rest on Russian wrestling. And is it the worst pay per view that you it's can up imagine? there? Like you can think it's of? up there for sure. It has to be. Um, there's only like a one or two matches that are pretty decent, but yeah, it was a this is a just a just a just a, just a, just a bummer, and then. You know, and a month later, seeing what happens on WWE TV just was a shock. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. And, you know, we'll, we will get to that story in a future. We want flair. Uh, we're going to take it. We're going to take a little bit of a break from this time frame. But OK, so we're, we're almost done with this. If you OK, let's let's say flair does business. He drops the belt to Luger. How would you have put that match together with Luger finally getting over the top on Ric Flair after years and years and years and years of not being able to do it? Well, if it was me, it'd be the torture rack and the submission in the middle of that cage, um, personally. Um, with Flair, do that, submit. You know, still old school ways of losing the title. Um, there's, But it would be clean, clean as can be, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think was the original main event for Halloween Havoc with Lex Luger as champion? So, it, it's... Uh, oh, man. It's, it's Ron Simmons, right? Like, yeah. that's the match. Don't they do a two out of three falls? They do, yes. And it was a pretty good match, too. Um, um, so, I, I don't know if... Uh, like, I, I'm, I'm, th- I'm wondering if this is a misprint in The Observer, but it just caught my eye. I, you, I don't Dustin think you Rose? could ever pick this. That that would actually make some sense, right? Um, but yeah, news? I, th- I think <laughs> so. This would be Luger beating Flair, and Luger's still a babyface, so it would be a heel oh. that he would be fighting. Excuse me, uh, not Sid because he's gone. Oh, sh- black blood. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I mean, you're not far off. Diamond Stud could be up there. It's Mr. Hughes. Uh, of all, can you imagine Mr. Hughes and Lex Luger headlining Halloween Havoc and, you know, whatever well, flair and sting underneath? If Dusty books Mr. Hughes like he books Big Bubba Rogers, I could see maybe 
that happening. Um, I, I don't like that. I, I don't like the idea. I do like the idea of 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 Luger quickly turning heel mm-hmm. and going with Harley Race and having Mr. Hughes. I love that trio. And then like Luger's now surrounding himself with these guys and and Sting's kind of like what's going on and he kind of leaves Sting alone and you know doesn't want anything to do with him anymore or it's hard to get a hold of Sting can't get a hold of and then here comes the black the boxes with Cactus Jack and Abdul <laughs> the Butcher and who's who's the benefactor who wants to Sting out of wrestling oh shoot it's his buddy Lex Luger yeah which I always liked that storyline I didn't like the execution of the the announcement of uh, of Luger being it I thought you know woman, uh, woman Medusa coming out as a belly dancer to trick staying is so goofy but that was wcw yeah um and then last question for you is if luger goes into halloween havoc as champion flair is still on the on the show sting is still on the show you're saying that you you actually like him being a heel who would you have made his first uh his first title defense against because Part of the the whole thing with Rick when he was champion was he had strong matches, right? Like he had strong matches. People he worked against people who could have strong matches with, and at least when you knew main event of an NWA show, you were going to have a good match with Lex. It's a little bit different with the psychology because Lex Lex could have good matches, but he was also a different type of babyface, you know, than than. Uh, then, then, because heel champion had been the thing, you know. He, he's, I guess, he, he could, you know, you, you could look back to Sting. Sting was the babyface champion, but how? Mm-hmm. Well, who would you have booked Lex's first program with? Is he heel? I. It's up to you. I would make him heel, and I, I like the idea. Where they, like they were always, they're really building up Ron Simmons at this point too. So we, I, I, I mean, he beats friggin' Oz, and Oz is like one of these new guys who kills everybody. He beats Butch Reed at Super Bowl. He beats Oz. He, uh, he beats the Diamond Stud at the September Clash. So he, uh, he was on his way up. So I can definitely see booking that. Um, yeah, WCW would have been weird if Flair is still around and Luger is there as a heel, or maybe. You know, Flair's taken out, and he's the babyface. Later, you know, comes back as revenge in a big match with Luger. But you know, they, you could do a lot of stuff with that. Yeah, and what's I never thought about it that way. I never actually. Yeah, of course, I used to book all these kind of scenarios as a kid. <laughs> but for some reason, I never, I never booked that where if Flair was still there and Luger was the babyface champion. It's weird. And and you know, obviously, they did not know that this was going to happen that way. But they have Brian Pillman, right? Yeah. And then they have him lose this uh, loser leaves town match, and he has to come back as the yellow dog. And then he's with Wyndham, and then Wyndham's got to work with Luger. So, you know, a lot of their plans got screwed up. But imagine if you did have Brian Pillman, who was hot coming out of that War Games match, and you did have him still hot. He could have been someone for for Luger to face as well. Yeah, yeah. Pillman was uh, totally underutilized at WCW for a very long time, especially during that babyface run. He should have been treated uh, as more of a future main eventer than he than he than he did. And he was had such such great talent. All right, I told you that was long. I apologize. I tried to get through that information as quickly as I could, but I knew there was a lot. But uh, next week, we will have no We Want Flair segment because we will set up for, uh, take, a, take a week off, and then we'll set up for the, uh, the beginning of, end of February, beginning of March shows. But uh, I, think that, I think that's it. Um, 
We will come back next week. I'm sure, like I said, we'll have some boxing stuff on the website and uh, and on uh, in hopefully in podcast forum. See if I can talk to somebody. Uh, the other thing that you know that I didn't point out is I put up a piece the other day uh, about sort of how I got started working with the Observer and podcasting with Big Dave. I was actually trying to write something a little bit different and just turned into that thing. And so I think down, I think in the future I'm just going to kind of write little behind the scenes kind of things about shows that I've done with Dave or guys that we've interviewed like Jericho. Like, you know, when I talked to Jericho and I was like, Oh, you know, Kevin Smith looks great. Like what happened? And he's like, well, dummy, he just had a heart attack. So obviously he had to eat healthy, like just stuff like that where it's like, you know, just small things that, you know, behind some of these shows and just, and you inspired me. Cause I'm also going to write about my, uh, my my journey with Dave, um, ordering sushi at the restaurant, it's always an adventure. Uh, <laughs> at his house, I'm gonna break the wall that people. No, it's not gonna write about that stuff. But uh, or what about his uh, us going there and uh, his wife making making food for us? And we're like, oh wow, like this is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll talk about definitely Dave's hosting skills. So. <laughs> Top notch. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, we, we've been on here long enough, but I want to thank John for hanging out. This was a lot of fun. We got through a lot of stuff, um, and uh, and yeah, you know, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep moving with this show. We are. Uh, I I feel like we are in a in a really good rhythm with what we talk about because you know you've mentioned before we don't agree on everything, which is great, but it's like. You know, you're not going to agree on everything with everybody. Like, they're like I watch, I watch AEW with Dave, and I disagree with him on on certain things. And in our Facebook group, we disagree on stuff with with others too. So, like, it's just you know, all of this is we all have our our roots and and how we learn this stuff, and we all have our how we like certain things. So, I I, I find it yeah. just fun to 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 see everyone's perspective. Wait till I watch the pay per view, Dave on. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him about his four and a quarter star for uh, Rio and Nyla Rose. Oh well, first of all, I don't believe in stars rings anymore. Ever since like Private Party and um, some bullshit got like four <laughs> and a half stars, I'm just like, all right, I'm done. This is give me a break. So no more ratings for me. I don't rate it's, it's stars anymore. So <laughs> all right, all right, we're gonna get out of here uh, for John. I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.